I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today I'm talking to A.T. and Marcy Arneson. They lead the church in Chicago, Illinois, and also chair the Catalyst Committee of the International Churches of Christ. In this episode, they talk about their conversion and ministry career, how they converted 14 people in the first year of their faith, what the Catalyst team does, and what it decided at the World Discipleship Summit. They share about what it means that Jesus is Lord, period, versus Jesus is Lord, if. They talk about how to stay idealistic in an increasingly cynical world, how to tackle high-tension situations, and the future and challenges of the International Churches of Christ. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. You can support the Rob Skinner Podcast at patreon.com forward slash Rob Skinner. That's patreon.com forward slash Rob Skinner. Thanks for listening and make this life count. I'm here with ATN. Marcy Arneson. Hey, you guys, welcome to the program. Hey, Rob. Good morning. Hey, Rob. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. It's great I, to be here. I know it. I know it. You know, AT, we, we got a chance to meet in Eau Claire, Wisconsin a couple of years yes. ago at the Look Up Conference. I think that was the first time we met, but it's awesome to meet you. You spoke, you just delivered a powerful opening lesson. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, I, I especially, uh, yeah, I love that conference. Um, that's right here in the Midwest, of course. But I love the uh, the afterward, the fellowship. I don't know if you remember, we had a cheese connoisseur present all the different <laughs> cheeses of Wisconsin. <laughs> you know. we, we went from the most uh, kind of least uh, bitter cheeses to the most, uh, I don't even know what they were, but it was, uh, I remember that very distinctly. I know. The funny thing about it is I'd never, ever heard of cheese curds be- prior to that trip. <laughs> I didn't even know they existed. And then I ate more cheese curds in a single trip than... <laughs> than ever. I think I'm, I'm all set. <laughs> I didn't realize that was a regional, regional thing. So, but it's, it's great to have you on the program. And I, I've heard so many great things about you guys. I know that you're super involved in helping the kingdom to grow through church governance. You've, you've led this, the Chicago church for a long time and thank you for making the time. Let's, let's start by just asking you this question. How'd you guys become Christians? Well, that's a that's a question. Uh, we don't want it to take up the whole podcast, Rob. <laughs> we we love our story, and I think all of us as disciples love sharing our testimony because we see the kind of the miraculous uh, details of how God set us up for life. But yeah. um, you know, Marcy and I uh, were married uh, already at the time that we were reached out to. We were we knew when we were 15 years old uh, we wanted to get married. Uh, we'll, we can talk about that a little bit later, but. <laughs> We found ourselves as a young married couple, uh, almost a year into our marriage, and we had a young daughter, and um, 
and we were living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, having moved there from Iowa. I was going to graduate school. Marcy was an elementary school teacher. And, um, you know, we were just uh, walking in a mall one night. And uh, unbeknownst to us, uh, a Bible talk was going to meet that night. But they didn't actually have anybody coming. No guests were coming. And so the Bible talk just decided, hey, let's go to the mall and share our faith. Yeah. And uh, Mars and I, we had our young daughter, Jessica. And she was, you know pretty energetic but she was having a hard time settling down that night so we just pushed her in a stroller to ease her to sleep and it was right there and I I've shared this so many times but I always <laughs> share it's under the the red hue of the radio shack lights that God right. intervened in our lives <laughs> <laughs> well this is the first time I've ever heard it so thank you for sharing this no that's that 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 time in our lives was so amazing and um I remember when we got married thinking, gosh, if, if we just prayed, that would be a really good spiritual you know, marriage. I had no idea what a spiritual marriage looked like at that point, but I'm like, maybe if we pray together, that would be, you know? Yeah. So I remember when we uh, actually, um, for whatever reason, I wrote a prayer out to God asking him to help us become disciples. And I actually never knew what that word disciple meant. So it blew me away when I found that letter maybe a month after we were baptized into Christ. And I saw that I wrote that to God. And I, I don't even know how that came in my head. Cause I remember being asked, you know, what a disciple of Jesus is. And I'm like, well, not really. <laughs> and so God just, you know, is amazing how he answers even are the prayers that we don't understand sometimes. And um, so, so you then, wrote, you wrote the word disciple. I did. Prayer. That's crazy. I did. And I, it, right before we got married, Rob, she, yeah. she wrote this before prayer we before we became Christians. That's right. She wrote this prayer to yeah. God, help us to be your disciples. And wow. neither of us ever had used that word that we knew of. Not right. No, I thought a disciple was, you know, just the 12 apostles or something. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I just, you know, we were so encouraged to find people who really wanted to follow the word of God and live that way. And, um, and I, I started studying the Bible um, first, and uh, I remember A.T. had to go to work, and I was home with Jess, and he said, hey, we just met these people. We don't really know them, so don't go hang out with them until I get home. <laughs> well, you know, bless her heart. She calls me, and she's like, hey, you want to come over for lunch? And I'm like, sure, I'll be there. So I went and had lunch with her, you know? <laughs> I was like, what happened to plan A? This <laughs> crazy people. We had you know? no idea. That's right. And so I came back. He's like, what'd you do today? I'm like, oh, I went and had lunch with that woman we met. He's like, what? <laughs> but you know, I survived and she's amazing. And uh, a little bit later, AT as well started to get to know, uh, you know, the, the Christians. And we both just were blown away by seeing the life of the, the Christians. And, uh, and we just had no idea this, it even existed. People that love God this way. Yeah. So, yeah. While Paul and Marion uh, Betts were reaching out to us, Rob, in the mall there under the Radio Shack lights, <laughs> uh, in the middle of the conversation, Marcy actually said out loud, she goes, you guys are a godsend. Wow. Um, I just, you know, we weren't in a desperate situation in life. We were super happy to finally be married after dating for seven years all through high school. We, we loved having our daughter. It wasn't like this, oh my gosh, God rescued us out of the fires of life at that right. moment. Uh, right. We know God rescued us, but but I think more importantly, we were just searching for God, praying to find um, find God. And, and, you know, this is how he intervened. And so and praying to have kind of like, how does this life count? You know, right. what, what does 
uh, how do we change the world for God, you know, um, for better, you know? And, and so we saw, wow, this, this is amazing. Um, I remember asking him, like, are we going to do this? Like, we're going to change all this stuff in our lives. Like we're going to stop getting drunk. We're going to, you know, I'm never going to cuss it, you know, just, (laughs) I'm going to, you know, the things that were just like part of my every, well, I wasn't getting drunk every day at that point, but that's good. That's good. (laughs) But, you know, but you know, these things, exactly. Yeah. Like having to really look like what, this is going to be a change in my life. Yeah. If I make Jesus the Lord of my life. Um, and what what year uh, was this? What, what year did you guys get met? 1992. Yeah. We were 22 and 23 year old. Yeah. So So we we just young, we we had no idea about the ministry or anything like that. And, and we, that, that first year we helped about 14 people become disciples. We were just so excited. <laughs> we were like, this is how you change the world. We literally reached out to anybody oh, yeah. and we everybody Bible, we could. Oh my God. 14 people. <laughs> oh, we just sang the Bible, oh. just ATI. and I. And then I think at some point someone said, would you guys be interested in doing like an internship? I mean, at the church, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what that means. It sounds good. You know? Oh. So we were, we weren't, it was, and it's funny because I don't know how people view, look through the lens of our history. We were just like, oh my gosh, everybody in our family is going to become Christians. I mean, everybody's <laughs> going to want to know about this. Like, and I don't know if you can sense it in us, Rob, we just crossed 30 years as disciples. We love being disciples. Mm-hmm. Like we, we still consider it just this amazing, amazing journey. Such, Life, yeah, we feel adventure. blessed by God. And you know, Maybe we'll share later. There's a lot of ups and downs in this journey, but <clears throat> we still look at this story we're telling you just in awe. Yeah. You know? What? Okay. So 14 people in the first year, you guys were gung ho. I, you know, AT, it cracked me up. I, I, I was listening to a lesson, must have been at a conference or something. You, you talked about all the different ways that you can use the, the, uh, the word amen. And <laughs> that, I, that. I just thought this guy truly loves the kingdom. I mean, I was just dying and it's, it's so true. It is the most versatile word in the English <laughs> vocabulary, especially for disciples. <laughs> but anyway, I could, your, your love for the kingdom definitely comes to the surface. And I, I love that about you. Just, I, you know, I, I, I feel a kindred spirit. I go, I love the kingdom. I love, I've loved what it's been about and what it's, what it stands for. And so, Anyway, that, that is awesome. Okay, so you guys were high school sweethearts. Um, okay, now you guys were you guys were both athletes. I, I remember talking about this with you, AT. You wrestled in, in high school. I did. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your background there in sports. Well, you know, I think um, Marcy and I were both very active, and I grew up wrestling. She grew up running, um, you know, cross country and track for her, and um, yeah, you know, we just got into wrestling. I, I wanted to be an NFL football player, but when you're just a shot, a little bit under five, eight and weigh about 150 pounds, that's not going to work out for you. Um, but you know, wrestling was kind of a perfect sport for me because, you know, I was kind of built for it and, um, and it was kind of an, this individual thing, but me and my two brothers, my, my parents would take us every weekend and we just travel around in the kids tournaments and really fell in love with the sport. And, um, yeah, it, it provided just so much context for life. And I look back on it now and I'm just like, what an amazing uh, kind of character development, uh, you know, sport. What, a, what an amazing, um, 
it's a little bit of a grinding sport, you know, so I don't, I'm, I can be a bit of a grinder in life, but I do it kind of with this sense of joy because it's not as hard as cutting weight and, right. <laughs> you know, right. stepping up, man. I like the individual nature of wrestling because, you know, it, it kind of takes away excuses and you step out there in front of a crowd of people. It's just you and this other guy. Um, you're kind of vulnerable in that moment and mm -hmm. it's all on the line and it, it creates in you this sense of, well, if this guy can defeat me, hold me on my back against my will, I guess he deserves to get his hand raised. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's kind of a, but I, I, I watch wrestling every day, Rob. I keep up with <laughs> high school wrestling. I watch world level wrestling. Um, I literally keep up. I'm a season ticket holder to the University of Iowa Hawkeye wrestling team. Oh my <laughs> gosh, with, with Dan Gable. He was the, the coach there, right? He, he used to be the coach there, yeah. Tom Brands is now the coach oh. there. But uh, my brother is a graduate of the University of Iowa. So I go up there for the home meets, and we go to Carver Hawkeye and watch the wrestling meets there oh my during gosh. the wrestling season. <laughs> because that, that's really the that's the kind of the epicenter of, of wrestling is university of Iowa, Dan Gable, 70, he won the Olympics in 72. I mean, just That's I think right. only one loss. I read his biography. I said, this guy is just tough. And, you know, oh, yeah. we were talking about this before the program, but I think wrestling is one of the best preparations for life period. I mean, I, I wrestled oh, in high school and I run into some other people who've done wrestling like Kip Harms and, and there's a few other people that have wrestled and I, I, there's a kindred spirit. And I think that concept of having to survive for another 30, <laughs> 37 seconds before the end of the round really yes. teaches you to hang on. And it, it does, uh, you know, I mean, just that that's really I mean, I could go off on that, but oh, that's, I, that's really you don't want to get me started in wrestling. I went down to uh, there's an old man's wrestling team here in, in Chicago. Mars and I went down there on a Wednesday night. I got my wrestling shoes on and I was wrestling a 37 year old guy from Ukraine. And uh, for, 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 for the first four minutes, I was glorious, Rob. Uh, <laughs> but after a while, he grabbed my hand and I had no strength. So I tried to pull my hand back and I actually punched myself, split my lip, bit into my hand. And I came walking over to Marcy, who's got her book and her glasses down on her nose. And she's just shaking her head at me. And I'm like, what are you doing out there? <laughs> what are you doing out there? He's like, I've hit myself in the face i think it's time to go <laughs> i know it i know it he was he was an amazing athlete i remember uh as a high schooler uh i was actually cheerleading uh for him um when he would be on the mat watched him wrestle all through high school i watched him wrestle all through college and uh he was a i think he got third in the nation um, oh my oh okay wait a second so so, so you didn't just wrestle in high school you wrestled in college yeah my my dream um so I was the assistant wrestling coach at Marquette University back in the 90s, uh, going to grad school when we first got married. That's when we reached out to. Yeah. My dream was to finish my graduate work there, be a teacher in, at some level, at the, at the college level, and then uh, be a college wrestling coach. Oh that was the dream. That's what we were pursuing. Um, yeah. It was our life. It wasn't just a, a sport. It was, this is what I want to devote my life to. And interestingly, I was very inspired to try to help form and shape young athletes to be their best. And yeah. I look back at that experience um, and I, you know, the coaching experience and the formation of character and conviction in people, the teaching of basic skills at the collegiate level. Cause you know, college wrestlers are really good high school wrestlers who come in and have to be reminded you excelled at this level, but if you want to go to the next level, you got to double down on the basic skills again 
so that you can, you know, you don't teach fancier things at the college level. You teach the, the, the foundational things in a more kind of intense way, refined. Uh, refined way. And so I look at even the training of young people in the ministry today, and I, that translates almost perfectly. It's mm-hmm. like, don't get away from the basics. Right. You know, um, you got you to gotta be good in your stance. You got to be good in your Bible. You got to be good foundationally. You got to be in good shape. You know what I mean? You've got to. Anyway, so wow, I, I would really love those years. Those were the early years yeah. of our marriage. So, Marcia, I'm, I cut you off there. You were saying that he was third in the nation. Yep, he was third in the nation um, in in college. I think it was his junior year. Um, wow. And uh, actually had a, had a pretty bad injury and um, his junior year with his knee um, and uh, went through quite a bit through that. Um, ended up being in the hospital for about two or three weeks after that with a staph infection. It was, you know, just crazy time, but got through it uh, and uh, just kind of continued in wrestling. But um, he had a, he was a great, great, he is a great athlete, was a great athlete, but it was fun to watch him, you know, wow. through the through all those years and cheer him on. And so I pretty much know everything I can know from watching <laughs> about wrestling. Right. You'd be surprised what right. I understand in the sport, but yeah. um, it's, it's, it is fun. And I agree. I think that the, the other, the other men that I know that are wrestlers, uh, especially the brothers um, there's, there's, there's a, there's something that it builds in you. You know, I think right. sports have great, have a great purpose in that, but I think there's a grit to those wrestlers. It's kind of like, we're just going to do it no matter exactly. what. You know? Exactly. I know. <laughs> Get it. out there and make it happen. But um, wow. yeah, so that was, that was fun. I mean, that shows the difference in the Midwest the attitude difference towards wrestling, having cheerleaders for the wrestling team. I mean, in my high school, <laughs> they didn't know when the wrestling team even met or even existed at that point. But uh, well, Marcy, you're, you're also an athlete. Can you tell me about that? Oh yeah. I mean, I, we both love competition. We both love, you know, um, different sports. The one that I uh, mainly got into through high school and college was also, um, well, not also, but was, track and field and then, uh, cross country. So, um, I, I loved running. Uh, it just became something that just was something I did, you know, throughout my and continue to do throughout my life. Um, I think it, uh, was fun to be on the team. I was, um, on a relay, the relay, the four by eight relay is kind of where I had my glory days. We were three times state champions, um, in the four by eight. And that was so fun. You know, you're just with a group of girls, just trying to make, you know, break that record and we kept breaking our record we i think we held a record for like 20 that, years yeah or yeah their state but their time it was just stood fun. for 20 years yeah, it was yeah. just fun you know it's just like you look back at that but yeah so those, those were those are fun and i think it did develop in us kind of this spirit of it might be hard there might be sometimes pain but that doesn't mean you quit you right, know right um how do we how do so i think we've definitely used those things we learned through sports to translate into our spiritual walking right it's fun to see the scriptures even talk about there's some some value to physical training you know (laughs) right oh absolutely so you won in the four by 800 relay yes so you were a middle distance runner yeah so i did mainly like the 400s and 800s yeah oh my gosh that's are you are you still running do you run for pleasure these days you know, I do, I, I, but I've kind of gotten into some different types of cross training and things like that. But, um, yeah, I, I love keeping up with just, you know, 
it's something we both feel like if we don't get that in each day or every right. other day, you know, you kind of get a little antsy, you know, I, I feel the same. I feel exactly <laughs> the same way. That's... A lot of times it's, it's just a long walk these days. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it definitely, exactly right. it definitely Look slows as you get a little older. <laughs> you have to adjust your expectations. That's for sure. That's, that's exactly right. right. Now, Let's let's turn and talk a little bit about your ministry experience. So you just started off with a bang. You guys were all fired up. You converted 14 people your first year. Were you able to convert any of your family? Did any of your, your family become Christians during that time? You know, we it's, it's funny because my brother, uh, Mark, prior to us even being reached out to, he was finishing his senior year. He was heading into his senior year of college in uh, Dubuque, Iowa, and we were living in Milwaukee but we had a plan where he was going to come live with us for the summer. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, we were reached out to in late May, he moved in, in the first week of June. So the whole time we studied the Bible for two and a half weeks, Rob, and then we were baptized. And my brother, Mark was in our apartment, our small little one bedroom apartment, sleeping on our couch for that entire time. And then, and then for about a month and a half afterward. And, uh, he was intrigued as an, as a, I think he was about 21 or 22 at the time. And we thought for sure he would become a Christian right then and there because he witnessed the whole thing. But the more we kind of pressed in on getting him to study the Bible, the more he resisted. And actually, we kind of famously talk about a story where I was trying to persuade him to sit down and do a Bible study. He had a plate of food in his hand and just whipped it at me across the, the, the room. Wow. Um, and it didn't work out. And uh, but, you know, 10 years later, Mark did become a Christian. And 10 uh, years he, later. Uh, well, it was actually eight years later in the year 2000, he was actually baptized uh, into Christ. And um, he and his wife, Kathy, and their daughter, Rebecca, are all disciples and we're in their house church. They live five blocks away from us. And and um, it's a great, great yeah. story. Actually, it took Kathy another. Mark had gotten married at that point, but it took Kathy. So he got baptized in 2000, took Kathy another five years <laughs> to get baptized in wow. 2005. So it's just a long journey sometimes. And we just we just never stopped reaching out and loving them. And we love and respect them so much. And they they're just they've got a great family and it's good to be close to them. Wow. And then you converted um E.T.'s mom, when we became Christians, oh my gosh, she was so upset with us. Oh yeah. <laughs> I bet she was. Because she's like, What 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 are you doing? And you know, I think she thought we were part of some type of I don't even know some church that was off the rails and, right. <laughs> and, uh, she, you know, and then let alone when we told her we were considering going into the full-time ministry, she just thought AT and I were making the worst decision. She begged AT, don't do this. Don't do this. Um, but uh, as well in 2000 and 1999, uh, Julie became a disciple. So about, um, yeah. Eight years after we were baptized, yeah. she actually became a Christian. One of the things I remember her saying to AT was, she's like, you are so passionate and you believe so much what you talk about. I have to, I have to look into what you're talking about, even though I don't really want to. <laughs> <laughs> and she became a disciple, bless her heart. Yeah. She's an amazing woman, was an amazing, faithful disciple. She passed away, but just passed away. Such a faithful woman of God. And uh, we think about her to this day, you know, just she spurs us on even in our faith, you know? Yeah, that, that was an amazing story, Rob. We didn't know it. She died at 59 years old. She was young. Um, you know, she was baptized in 99. Then my brother, Mark was baptized in 2000. And then of course, Kathy came around in 2005, but my mom was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in 2004. So after five years, you know, being a disciple, but she just took it in stride. She, 
she was one of the most joyful, inspiring women. I shared about her in my, in my sermon to close out the, the World Discipleship Summit because I, I just took so much inspiration. You know, the week before she died, we gathered around her on Mother's Day. She died on May 17th, but um, on Mother's Day that year, uh, we were all around her. She had oxygen in, her body was gone. We knew it was just days. And she looked around and she's just like, I just did not think dying would be this much fun. Um, and and wow. we live with this sense of that was her spirit yeah. as she breathed her last, you know, and she didn't want to die. She didn't want to die young, no. but she was just so triumphant from begging us not to become Christians to that moment, uh, that thought in that final moment of her life. The journey is is just an incredible statement about the power of God to redeem, you know, Amen. Any, any advice you'd give to those who are trying to reach their family? Well, it's, it's, it's actually amazing, Rob. I mean, I have eight siblings, seven siblings. I oh have eight. Gosh. My wow. mom and father, um, my father has passed away. My mom is, uh, um, we continue to just share our faith with our family. Oh you know, my sister, uh, was just here a few months ago. She's like, I need to study the Bible, Marcy. I need to become a disciple. I want to, I want you to baptize me one day. So, you know, this stuff kind of does kind of come up and now it's been, it's been 30 years. So, and AT is actually in the process of studying with his dad right now. Wow. Um, and That's so great. he's been meeting for the past five weeks, every morning, every, every once Saturday, a week. Every, every Saturday, every Saturday morning, we're studying the Bible with my dad, his wife, and you know, they're both 76, but it's, you know, we've been on this journey for 30 years and here we are 30 years later and my dad and his wife, Mary, in their late, you know, mid to late seventies are just, we just have the most amazing time. My two brothers and I, every Saturday morning, we study the Bible and um, they're just very open. And I think the advice I would give is, is let God's timing be God's timing. Mm. And we, we stay faithful through all of that, you know, um, that's kind of a, a, yeah. a principle, I think, for us in all of life is just God's timing and our timing and people's hearts timing. It's all it's all kind of this mix. What we can be is consistent and faithful right. and um, hold out the hope of what God might do if we continue to invest ourselves and give God something to bless. Yeah, I think of that scripture in Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary in doing what is good for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not quit. And I think that is just help. I just hold on to that scripture. I think don't stop doing what is good. Right. If this is good, then do it. Right. The timing will come at God's time at the proper time, but let me not quit. Mm. You know, there's a couple of things I have to do good and not quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And then God will take care of the rest. <laughs> that's, that's really inspiring. I'm going to pray for your dad. That's, that's great news. So encouraging. Can you guys give an overview of, of where you've been in the ministry? Tell me about your, your ministry career since, since those early days. Yeah, we, um, you know, I think because we were so zealous in the beginning of becoming Christians, we were in this little house church that reached out to us that particular night in the mall. And we started converting these folks. And the couple that was leading the church in Milwaukee at that time, Kevin and Mary Maines, um, asked, uh, we didn't know how they how the church worked or we didn't understand ministry, uh, you know, coming from our background, we're like, well, we're not ordained. And you know, what does this even mean? So there was no outlook for us to go into the ministry, but um, the couple that led the church wanted to start discipling us at once we were three months old as Christians. And we just said, no, thanks. Cause we didn't, again, we didn't know that that was an honor or a choosing or a, we're right. like, we just like our little small group. Right. Exactly. 
these are our friends. <laughs> these are our friends, so we'll just stay with them. But but obviously they people, you know, kind of explained to us that Kevin and Mary led the church and you know, why don't you guys go connect with them and be in the, the same Bible talk as them? And so that began a little uh, kind of journey um, to the one year point of us being disciples where we were asked to step into the ministry in Milwaukee as interns. Um, I still had a year of graduate school left. I uh, was still coaching wrestling. Marcy at that point was no longer teaching because we had our, our daughter. But but yeah, we went into the ministry one year after being converted and um and that kind of began the ministry career. And, you know, we, we, didn't, we still didn't fully grasp what that meant. Um, at that time, there were some things happening. Um, a bunch of the folks from Milwaukee ended up moving down to Chicago, and we were asked to move down to Chicago as well to support the work here. And, um, and we came down here with the prospect of being full-time in the ministry in Chicago. So we, we actually made the move. Then the finances didn't quite work out. And so we're sitting in this new place. Marcy's pregnant with our second child. I've got a year left of grad school. And it turns out there wasn't a ministry position for us. And we're like, well, don't tell our family about this. Right. <laughs> um, it was one of those weird moments where you're kind of going on faith and, and you're, you're, you're uh, you know, you're thinking there's a plan and it turns out a little bit different. Um, so we sat in that kind of a, in a, um, a position not knowing what the future held for about a month or so and then the money came available and we were hired on as interns in the Chicago church right here in the north region um, and we've really served here in the north uh, region of Chicago for about I guess 29 years or something like that yeah we've been in Chicago that. the Chicago church for about serving for about 29 years in every conceivable role you can imagine I yeah. mean so <laughs> contribution counter to you know, you've been, you've been in Chicago for 29 years straight. We had one four month stint where we planted the church in Columbus, Ohio in 1995. Um, we moved to Columbus, planted the church there. Uh, you know, yeah, that's another long, long story. We had amazing success. The church went from 17 members to 43 members <laughs> in the first two months of us being there. And, uh, and we were like, I literally preached a sermon. We're going to die in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> Unbeknownst to us at that time, the world sectors of that time were rearranging themselves to become more financially viable uh, and independent from one another. And Ohio was going to be going to the East Coast. So all of the Midwest people got pulled back into Chicago. So we were only in Columbus for four months. And yeah. I mean, it broke our heart. Oh, my gosh. Oh, back from that church. And uh, yeah. so, so I, you know, if, if a young person's listening to this and they're, they're like, well, I don't know the exact path. Let me tell you, I feel like we lived many years of our life not knowing what the path was yeah. until God made it clear to us. Yeah. So I don't know if you... Any highlights from that for you, babe? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, each step of the way, you know, the, the irony is that we we have stayed in, we have been in Chicago 29 years, but we've had 14 different homes where we've been here. So, you know, you're going to be over there. Now you're going to be over there, you know, so, we, you know, but um, yeah, we, we love, we love Chicago. It's definitely become our home and um, our kids were raised here and, um you know, I think being in the ministry has just been what an honor and a blessing, really. You know, the fact that we got to be a part of um, coming into the Chicago area, helping with the, the North region. We've been, you know, been able to serve in campus ministry. We've been able to serve just 
uh, overseeing, you know, uh, region. We've been able to serve overseeing now where God has us just with overseeing the church, which is, you know, a privilege and, and just, we just love the people we work with. And, you know, even each time we've been asked to do something, I remember when we were asked to go lead the Columbus church, uh, a sister, uh, Kelly Sandin, she said, Hey, how would you guys feel about going to plant the church in Columbus, Ohio? <clears throat> We're looking for people who would maybe do this. And I was like, Kelly, whatever you do, do not put our name out there. You know, <laughs> famous last words, right? And so lo and behold, you know, a week or two later, we were asked to go do that. And even, even in each role we've had here, I think even when they, we were asked to uh, take on the leadership here in Chicago, we were like, man, we can only do it if you, those of you that are asking are with us in this, like, we just know that we're just humans that will do the best we can with what we are get asked to do, but we need people around us. You know, we've never uh, felt that we can do this on our own. And um, mm. so that's been something that I've been so grateful for is that God has just always provided uh, people around us that just, you know, kind of hold up our arms as right. well. You know? Right. Yeah, I was going to say, Rob, I think Marcia and I, again, we carry with us this deep gratitude for, for the kingdom and, and for the salvation we found in Christ and um, what, what that's meant to our marriage, what that's meant to our family, what that's meant to um, the purpose of our lives. I think we, we live with this sense of, I, I, you know, I've never felt entitled to a role in the church. I mean, I'm not kidding. When I, when I got tapped to be an usher, as a, as a young Christian, I was like, whoa, I get to walk around during church. This is awesome. You know what I mean? I remember feeling like when I was a, a contribution counter in Milwaukee, I'm like, man, this is God's money. This is, yeah. this is the, the, the sacrifice of God's people. And I know that sounds, a, that might sound a little cheesy or a cliche. I'm not sure, but I literally feel that way. I'm like, it's so precious. It's, it's so special, but so we don't believe we deserve any role. Um, but we also so but we also know that if we're given that role, we believe God had a hand in that. Not that we're exclusively the ones for that role, but that somehow God created an opportunity. So we're going to give our entire heart to that thing. Mm. Um, I remember yeah. when um, about 20 years ago, the church was in flux. If we all remember there was a bit of just like, what is going on here? <clears throat> and AT and I were we're really contemplating, can we keep doing the full-time ministry in this, in this environment and, and in this atmosphere, if what, what, you know, whatever was going, on was difficult. I think we all were going through a lot of different things across the globe at that time in uh, the churches of Christ. And, um, but I remember we were even thinking maybe, is this a time we step away? We step out of the ministry. And <clears throat> we kind of were talking about that for a little bit, which we never really talked like that before. You know, we just always, uh, continued thinking let's just figure out you know our next steps but we were like is this a time to step away and I remember AT said you know if God calls us to step away then we will but let us not call ourselves to step away mm. God called us into this so let's continue to let him lead us through it and he said let's stop talking that way until God makes it different and that was just a good decision in our household to not kind of contemplate something, not that you can't process and talk about how we're feeling uh, about things, but to make a decision to really let God lead in those 
those intense moments when you're really questioning what direction to go um, and to speak about it faithfully right. uh, was something that we just decided to do. And I remember one time asking um, a sister, you know, I, I was like, man, the, I was kind of just complaining about the ministry. I was a young mom. Uh, it was a lot of, a lot of responsibility. And I was like, is, I don't know if I can do it. You know, the ministry just seems to be too hard, too difficult too. it's causing all these problems in my life, you know, kind of mindset. And I remember, I think, I believe it was Mary Maines. She said, Marcy, let's talk about it, but just the ministry is never the issue. She goes, cause wherever you go, you're going to be, it's going to just be a different job, different situation. So what's really going on. And that was really helpful to me as well to, to, you know, not everybody is gifted to be in the full-time ministry. I think we all are gifted if we're called by God to serve in ministry. You don't have to be paid full-time to do that, of course. But but I remember changing my mindset from the ministry was the problem. And that really helped me right. to look at what's going on inside of me and not blame, try to blame something, if that makes sense. Exactly. Exactly. You mentioned Kevin and Mary Mains. You know, Kevin passed about five years ago. Love yeah. that guy. I mean, just I'm, talk about yeah. Talk about a dyed-in-the-wool kingdom guy. Kevin Maines was it. I mean, just he's so passionate. Yeah. Anything that you remember about him that, that inspired you? Anything that you could share a little bit about him? I'll tell you what, Kevin, he, you know, when I go think about the kind of the wrestling, uh, the basics of wrestling was what you put into the college athlete. I think Kevin just was just devoted to the, the, the basic, simple faith of, man, love God, walk with God, love your family. Mm-hmm. And, and share your faith and, 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 you know, preach the word. I mean, Kevin was just, he, he, uh, he was always kind of true to the basic tenets of the faith. And right. I feel like he kept it very simple. Um, you know, he believed in discipling. He believed in the one another way. He, he always had a napkin or something in his pocket with like five phone numbers on it. You know what I mean? I mean, it was just like, you know, we're always in a Denny's studying the Bible with somebody. You know what I mean? And I'd be coming in to have a discipling time with Kevin and, and you know, hey, I'll meet you at the Denny's. I'll, I'll be doing a Bible study with somebody in the back corner. Just meet me there. And then right. we'd go from there. But what was funny is when we were having success in the ministry, um, Kevin and Mary were, were not they would submit themselves to the success we were finding. Right. Like it wasn't about who was where in the right. structure. It was very much a celebration of, yeah. man, you're, you're finding success and we're finding success and, or you're going through a hard time or we're going through, you know, you're just kind of journeying together. And I feel like they taught us some really kind of core principles along those lines yeah. in the early days. I love that about Kevin. Yeah. It's interesting about Kevin. He, he had gray hair. He was, you know, when I knew him, probably I probably <laughs> met him maybe five years before he passed, had gray hair. But the funny thing, that ironic thing is I'd never met a more child, childlike spirit than the Kevin. Just yeah. just like what you're talking about, just like a baby Christian uh, yeah. with, with gray hair, just so <laughs> spirited and just loving God, loving, loving the kingdom. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And our first leaders meeting, Kevin and Mary invited us to attend our first Bible talk leaders meetings. And, you know, we know this, we joke about it. Back then it was an honor to attend, not right. an obligation. Oh, yeah. Definitely. You know? Definitely. <laughs> like, well, we get to go to the leaders meeting. But Kevin led the song and he said, well, I, you know, the, you know, that song, I woke up this morning with my mind and yes. the whole crowd goes, where was your mind? He grabbed my face <laughs> and held my face. And I was like, 
centered on Jesus. You know what I mean? Like he's squeezing my cheeks and saying, looking at me as he's leading a song in front of an entire leaders meeting. And I was like, this is wild. You know what I mean? I know. I know. I know. But we, it was just fun. I mean, it was fun. I, I remember the first time actually we came to church and, you know, you know, people are just so kind and they, people were coming up and just introducing themselves to us. And, and I was like, wow, that was a really nice person. He, you know, Kevin introduced himself to us. Anyway, um, we sit down and church gets started and lo and behold, there's Kevin up on the stage, you know, right. and I was like, wait, that's the minister too. Like, <laughs> right, right. And I, it, just, it was this moment in my, actually, it was so good for me as a young person searching. I was like, wait, these are just really nice people who love God. Like it, right. I kind of came from a lot of, uh, you know, the, the, the upbringing I had, the, the minister would maybe not know you or the priest didn't, if he did know you, he wasn't, it was so, right. everything was so detached. Yeah. Detached. And, um, I, I was just kind of blown away by the, uh, the community of right. that, you know, exactly. he created that, you know, and exactly. he was funny and he just kind of didn't care, but, um, he yeah. loved his family, loved Mary so much and he loved his kids so much, you know, know. He's a great know. dad, great husband to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I look forward to interviewing, uh, Stuart and Mary, and I want to talk to them about, about Kevin a little bit. So yeah. let's, let's change the channel here. So you've had a long, long career in Chicago primarily. Prior to that, you're in Milwaukee. Yeah. You're now also, besides, how, how big is Chicago? Is it like 2,000 disciples? What, what are we looking at? Yeah, just under 2,000 disciples. Okay, so yeah. it's, it's a big church. I mean, it's a massive church, which is, that's more than enough work for a couple like yourself. That's crazy. I just can't imagine the kind of pressure you must feel. But on top of that, you are involved in a lot of kingdom governance, a lot of meetings that go on. And can you explain what you do? Can you can you talk a little bit about how things are set up and what you're doing to try to help the, the kingdom at large grow? Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, again, we feel like it's an incredible honor to serve in these various roles. Um, I think when we look back, you know, the last kind of beyond a decade, Chicago wasn't really functioning in the greater kingdom kind of work, so to speak. Um, and we we definitely felt like Chicago had something to give and, and we wanted to participate, we wanted to sacrifice, we wanted to offer Chicago's resources to the Midwest and beyond to help kind of strengthen our global fellowship. So it's it's been an interesting and, and kind of for us an inspiring um, journey to to see Chicago able to kind of be that. And we're, so we, we consider it a great honor to serve in these, these uh, roles. We, Marcy and I serve as the uh, regional family chair uh, couple uh, for the, the Midwest family of churches, which is now 22 congregations, just over 4,000 members. Um, as you may know, and I'm not sure who, who knows how the structure works, but there's 35 regional families now uh, that make up our entire global fellowship. So the Midwest is, is one of those. Um, I believe it's 13 of them make up the North American regional families. And so we're, we've got a real cohesive cooperative spirit among those regional families in North America, which has developed in the last couple of years. Mm. Um, Marcy served for many years in the uh, women's service team, uh, just advancing women's ministry all across the world with these amazing sisters, uh, watching her do the work, watching the sisters put their, their hands to the work of, of, unifying the sisters hearts around the world i mean it's a very very powerful thing and yeah maybe you could speak to that and then um 
And then both of us serve on the, on the catalyst team, which is probably the enigma <laughs> of all parts of our structure. What is the catalyst team? Um, and the catalyst team uh, was a development coming out of 2018. Uh, I voted the delegates to form a hub, if you will, of, of, of 14 people that represent the elders service team, the teacher service team, the women's service team, and, uh, and the regional family chairs. And so there's a representation of all of those groups that make up the 14 members of the, the global missions. yeah, and the global missions group. That's right. So, so we have these 14 folks that kind of look at all of the different aspects of ministry and represent that in this hub that is the catalyst team that facilitates connectedness, unity, and vision in our global fellowship. Um, and, you know, uh, I serve as the chairman for uh, for the last four years of the Catalyst team. It's a very high functioning group. Um, it's a lot of work. I think originally we thought, hey, it'll be about a tithe of your time. Uh, turns out that it's not a tithe of your time. <laughs> but again, you know, all of our journey, we're like, hey, I thought it was going to be like this. And it turns out to be something else. But I think our fellowship in the last four or five years in particular, Rob, has needed to, to uh, kind of redevote ourselves to cooperate what it means to be unified to have a cooperative spirit and now coming out of the world discipleship summit how to go forward unified with a vision uh for really the great commission and to continue to build our fellowship globally so that the role of the catalyst team and the regional family chairs you know these are these are really things happening in the background that keep our fellowship together in a very powerful way. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I, you know, I could talk more to that. I don't know if you had a thought on the women's. Well, on the women's side. Yeah. I mean, it's been um, many years that I've been able to also work with the women's service team, which is um, about 10 to about 15 women from all over the globe, you know, with the mindset of let's do whatever we can to be, uh, a service to the women specifically in the full-time ministry. I think that a lot of times um, that's an area that we can miss is ministering to the ministers, if you will. So we're trying to provide something like that. Um, and it's just been an honor. I mean, the bottom line is this was built on so many young, uh, amazing women, yeah. you know, from the, the Tess Fontenot's, the Jeannie Shaw's, the Kim Evans, the, um, you know, Pat Gemples, the, um, you know, Lynn Greens, the, I mean, you can go on and on of the sisters that have just laid an amazing groundwork um, that we now get to build, continue to build on. Wow. And uh, yeah, so it's really, really fun and an and honor to be a part of it. Now, as the chairman of the Catalyst team, do you, does that come with a private jet? I mean, are there any perks? I was like, like whoa, no, it, you <laughs> know, come with too many perks. It's no. actually, yeah, yeah, you know, I think you have to. It's funny. I, I don't even know how to answer. It comes with no perks. Uh, it, it comes with a lot of responsibility and not a lot of resources. I think we're working very hard to, and I, I say that, and I understand, I understand the challenge of all of that. I, I say that, that, you know, we believe in the greater cause of, of, of building God's kingdom. And so the reward is truly uh, any glory that God gets. And, and I, I don't mean that in some cliche way, Rob, because I, I look at our fellowship globally and I just think, what a special, special thing. It, you can go anywhere in the world and you know this. Um, and if, if you say, hey, I'm your brother in Christ, I'm right. a disciple from Chicago, the, 
the way you're going to be received by that other brother from Africa or from Jakarta or wherever is is so unique to our fellowship. Right. It's it's not a nice handshake or that's good. It is a it's family. It's awesome. It really it's is amazing, bro. Yeah. And I yeah. And so you you're rewarded by the the idea that you are strengthening those bonds and you are you are laying a foundation upon which millions of people can come to know that feel and that faith, you know? Okay. So I want to drill down a little bit on this. First of all, who's in the catalyst committee. Can you give me a list of names? Who's, who's working with you? The 14. Yep. Um, so, um, I serve as one of the seven regional family chairs and then the re- that I'm the chairman because the catalyst team, once it was formed, voted me to be the chairman. That's how that, that okay. was formed. So I've got to, uh, off the top of my head here, just run through it. It's myself and Marcy. Marcy serves uh, as one of the women from the women's service team. So Marcy and Sarah E. Sarah from Argentina are the two women. The two elders are Walter Evans and Dan Liu. The two teachers are Valder Koha and Emmanuel Ima was just voted in from the African uh, Teaching Corps. The seven RFCs, uh, some have actually stepped off because the term has ended, are Raphael Lua, uh, Mike Fontenot, Mike Tolliver, Chris Ogbenaya, um, myself, and then we had Harlem Salim, and I'm missing Sebastian. Is he still, I'm sorry. Oh yeah. Sebastian, Sarah. That's right. And then the last person, uh, I, <laughs> sorry, Doug, Doug Wenz, but Doug Wenz serves as the representative of the missions, uh, global missions group. Wow. So, sorry, I didn't do that in a streamlined no, way. No, that's, but... that's okay. Just, it's interesting. So you've got people literally from around the world, which is awesome because it's international churches of Christ. Um, I want to just talk about what's what goes on behind the scenes. Like what 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 are your meetings composed of? What do you guys talk about? Like what, can you talk a little bit about what was discussed at the? I know you have meetings before the conference, um, but what goes on behind the curtain? What what are you guys covering? Was there anything decided? Like what? I'd like to know just what 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 is it like? Give, give us. Let me be a fly on the wall here and talk a little bit about what you guys were doing and what you yeah. do. And, and I, I'm happy to, I'm really glad uh, that, thanks for asking this question, Robin. Please pause, pause stop me at any point. <laughs> I was just say, you've, opened up, you've opened up a can of worms that um, he loves to talk about. Yeah, so. <laughs> and, and the reason this is really important to me, Rob, this has been my world for four years. Marcy's, you know, just come onto the Catalyst team. We've had some, uh, It's it's been a little bit fluid as people came on and then their responsibilities locally took them back off because it's, it's an all-volunteer model and your church has to be willing to let you devote the time away from the local ministry to this effort so sometimes that requires people to step off uh prematurely or something like that but um you know if if i could lay a little bit of a visual uh, at people's feet if they're listening here you know i look at acts one where jesus kind of throws out the concentric circles is the way i see it of jerusalem judea samaria and the ends of the earth if you view that as a small circle, bigger circle, bigger circle, and then the biggest circle, the ends of the earth. Uh, That is a way that I view how we could potentially structure and how we are structuring our global leadership at this hour. And I think uh, what's what was known back in 2018 is the 2.1 model is you have like, 
you do have a centralized kind of Jerusalem hub uh, of leadership influence, which might be the Catalyst team. And then from the Catalyst team, you have the regional family chairs, which is the next concentric circle. And from the regional family chairs, you now have the delegates that make up the bigger circle. And then kind of outside of the outside, but influencing all of those groups are the service teams that specialize in a certain area of ministry, youth and family, campus, and they're interjecting their expertise. They're serving the kingdom as a service team, uh, interjecting their expertise, their perspective, their vision from their service team on their area into those groups. They're writing proposals. They're influencing direction. They're, they're, they're casting vision. And then the catalyst team's job is to take all of that and facilitate a streamlined approach to how this all functions together to keep the communication strong. And I think, um, you know, so at the, at the World Discipleship Summit, we began on Tuesday. Uh, we got there on Tuesday, July 26th. Uh, our first meeting on July 27th was about five hours with the catalyst team. Okay, are we prepared? We had, we'd spent months organizing the first in-person gathering of the regional family chairs and the delegates in four years. So this was, or I, I guess, yeah, I guess it was a couple of years because we, you know, the pandemic and everything else. So we spent five hours together looking through the plan, looking through the topics, looking through our notes saying, okay, are we set? Then that evening, Wednesday, we invited the 70 people that represent the 35 regional families into the room and we began meeting and dialoguing and you know my role is to 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 kind of facilitate that work and and other people get up when it's their moment and they facilitate those conversations and we're deciding things like what is cooperation how do we approach bible and gender we we brought up uh you know the topic of dating outside of the kingdom outside of the icoc yeah, and, and uh, uh, dating outside of the icoc and what is its relevance and impact on our global fellowship. And we didn't get to finish all of these topics, but we, we certainly got to uh, get the sentiment of the regional family chairs on the impact of these topics. And the, you know, so it was, um, it was great. We talked a lot about, you know, how do you, how do you influence our global fellowship through the writing of a proposal? How could you write a proposal that says, this is an important directional consideration for the global fellowship if you wrote that up where would you send it <laughs> how would it be received how would it be processed uh, one of the the big kind of talking points was the reformation of what we would call an evangelist service team in 2018 uh, the evangelist service team was disbanded and the catalyst team was formed but i think because we're challenged to grow really across the world right now, and especially in light of the last couple of years, um, we be, the Catalyst team floated the idea before the regional family chairs, hey, what about reforming an evangelist service team? We've got an elder service team, we've got a teacher service team, we've got a women's service team, but we don't have anybody specifically serving with the thought of best practices, you know, consolidated vision, uh, this kind of thing that could also influence. And I think one of my kind of my my happiest moments there was that was almost unanimously embraced wow. as a good idea, the reforming of the evangelist service team. And it may be called church growth service team or something like that um, so that it's not exclusively limited to evangelists, but women will serve in there. 
it's also a great opportunity for young next generation leaders to come in and have influence at that level. Um, so, I mean, I, there's a lot I could talk about, but the, but we, we met with the Catalyst team. We met with the regional family chairs. The regional family chairs uh, kind of refined the talking points. And then all 250 people gathered with the delegates. And we had two days of meetings with the global delegates uh, kind of weighing in on directional conversations in, in all of these multitudes of areas. Um, so I, I don't want to over, <laughs> I could talk for a long time. Yeah, go ahead. So, okay. So in the past, like when I was a baby Christian and growing up to, to 2003, we had a, a, a real strong top-down leadership structure. You had, you had KIPP, you had the world sector leaders, a lot yep. of, I mean, there was change like immediately. If there was some, some change, I mean, what you're talking about a change back during the Columbus period was at 95. I mean, there were, there were periodic times where there were massive shifts. There were just decisions made. Things were, it was moving. It was just really cranking and decisions were made quickly. How do you, it seems like it's kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum now. Now it's a lot of discussion. How do you guys make decisions with that many people involved and with simply kind of the kingdom being led by a committee? How do you, how do you come up with decisions? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I don't quite see it as being led by committee, but I do believe that we we have spent the last four years somewhat agonizing to, to uh, many people developing transparency in decision-making and process and resource allocation. And I think in a model like we, we have, and I would characterize, I don't like using 2.1, but I would call it the cooperation model. Rob is, is the way we would probably, if we could standardize that is that the, the what we are actually doing, um, you have to have a very, very high trust environment to stay in a cooperative mode. And, and so what, what our model, our cooperation model requires is it, it, it disperses the decision-making out to the local geographic areas, primarily the regional families. And within those regional families, people are deciding to own their part of the wall. If you take an analogy from Nehemiah, in the times of Ezra, and they're going to build their part of the wall. And in building their part of the wall, uh, through this cooperative effort, we're learning from each other, we're sharing ideas with each other, and we're fortifying every part of the world. There's actually a plan in place where someone wakes up and considers every one of the countries on planet Earth in our model. And it's amazing. Wow. Um, so, so it does take more decision-making, but that's why you got to have really good process and really good transparency and super high trust. And I have to tell you, coming out of the World Discipleship Summit, having been in some role like this for the last 12 years of our lives, I've never seen us uh, more poised in a healthy way to, to go forward in a cooperative spirit and kind of an empowered and inspired spirit to to do this work. I, I literally walked out of the delegates meeting thinking, oh my gosh, this is coming together. That's exciting. I actually had, I had a brother come up to me, an older brother, a pioneer, highly respected brother, who's been a little bit frustrated that it's taken four years to get to this point. And, you know, I think some of the older disciples, they go, let's just get a vision and go. And I'm in the background going, no, 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 no. If we just go forward and neglect this transparency and this consensus and this communication, then we we're going to lose our way. We're going to we're going to run out of room here on the runway. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Uh, but he told me after the meeting, the, the, the delegates meetings, he says, I see it. I just saw what we've been talking about for four years come to fruition. I didn't believe it for half the time. I didn't think I'd ever come to this. I thought it was agonizingly slow, but I see it. And I'm telling you, that was such a rewarding moment for me. Wow. That because, you know, you have to face the criticism of why is this taking so long? Exactly. To get us exactly. Up and running. Right. You know? Okay. So, well, what can you get specific? What, what are you excited about moving forward for the kingdom? Like what, when you, like were decisions made, can you, can you talk a little bit about what is it that, that, that grounds that excitement as you look forward? Um, yeah. I mean, do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, it's been amazing to be kind of, if you will, the observer of watching AT work a lot and talk with a lot of, you know, the brothers around the globe and, and, and all of this. And I, I, these questions are great questions, Rob. And I think a lot of us are, are asking them and thinking them. So I love that you are also asking them. And I think um, one of the things that I've seen is just the attitude of we're going to, uh, we want to stay together as, as a fellowship. How do you do that? How do we, how do we stay together with a hundred thousand brothers and sisters across the globe with in 700 and 31, 31. Yeah. You know, congregations and and you know this is a unique unique thing to right. not just all say we're going to do our own thing and yet you know we call ourselves the same name or something right uh, but to actually be on the same page in heart and mind it not that we do everything exactly the same but we're committed to that spirit and so that's that's been powerful to watch so when i saw you know at the world discipleship summit um us meet with a group of 14 which was the catalyst team and then to see okay now the regional family chairs come in you got 70 people now and to see kind of the spirit i asked i was thinking there's no way you can make decisions with 70 people or 200 people but to see the way it was organized so that brothers and sisters were able to ask their questions that maybe never thought they'd be able to ask a question in that room and for them that room to be able to consider that question, the unity that came from that, probably the most, to answer your question, one of the most exciting things I think is, is that if, if this is what we're, it can always change, but if this is the, the foundation or structure that we're going to keep to keep organized, more and more people are understanding how that works and it's bringing a security to kind of your question, then you can make decisions. So right now, it's almost like you have to get everybody understanding how decisions are made by the proposal right. process, coming right. together, get with your regional family. So a lot of those things were talked about. If there's an issue in your regional family, do you just immediately take it to the elder service team? How do you work that out in your regional family? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the four years has been getting uh, us all understanding how do you have a healthy regional family? Um, who is, what is a regional family? Right. How does that work? How does, right. who, how does that, so even just getting people, some, some regional families were set up great, some were not. So some of that's just been getting these things in order so that we can now, yeah. you know, once all of the machine is in order, then you put, you hit that button and the decisions can happen much more, you know, efficiently. Right. And that was one of the things that was talked about at, at the delegates meeting was, are there opportunities and times where we might just need to put a proposal out that needs to happen within the next month? Mm -hmm. You know, and people are like, absolutely. Those will, those will, those will, there's a, re, there's a way to make that happen versus a proposal that maybe happens every six months when there's a voting, you know, 
Um, and, and so just kind of talking about how, what that would be, what kind of decisions would that be, you know? Um, one of the things that came away as a, as a practical is that it was voted on that there should be a next generational uh, representation on the Catalyst team. So that is now in place that they're, they're getting uh, someone who is a next generation, which is, <laughs> I guess someone under 40, um, you know, is the next generation. So that's exciting that the, the brothers and sisters are like, let's get a representative. And that was something that was decided as a, as a group, you know, not just a couple people saying, let's do this. And, and, and I don't know that it's always, always going to be that way because I actually heard in that room of the delegates, them saying, we want actually, we trust kind of what AT was saying. There's a, a trust being built. So there's more of a spirit of, we do trust the catalyst uh, facilitators to be able to yeah. facilitate these things. Yeah. So don't, you know, and that's huge. I think to have brothers and sisters across the world saying, no, we want you guys to start making some of these choices versus okay. that coming top down. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. We're being urged. So, so there's a couple of developments, Rob unless you wanted to inter interject here. No. So what I hear you saying is that first of all, there's a next generation committee that was decided on and that you also reinstated the evangelist committee, kind of a, yep. uh, basically let's focus on the mission, how we can get the mission done kind of a committee. Correct. Was there anything else? Yeah, there's um, the catalyst team is kind of, you know, one of the big topics is the voice of the ICOC. There's a lot of different voices out there. Right. Um, and people are confused. Is this, is this the ICOC or is that the ICOC? Mm -hmm. Is this podcast, the ICOC, you know, right. people may confuse your podcast with, is this the voice of the ICOC? Right. No, Rob Skinner doing his thing to build the kingdom, you right. know? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the catalyst team is officially the voice of the ICOC. Right. When things come out through disciples today, uh, through the catalyst team, through the regional family chairs, the catalyst team was affirmed as, Okay, that's the voice of the ICOC. Right. Um, that'll be a function of the Catalyst team. Uh, the Catalyst team will officially be the hub of decision-making and facilitation. I mean, decisions come through the Catalyst team. So we're kind of learning how this Catalyst team can really function to serve the Global Fellowship. It's not an authoritarian thing. It's a functional uh, kind of communication hub. Um, you mentioned the Evangelist Service Team. Um, I think we, we're beginning, we have zero financial resources devoted to anything globally right now and so anything that's happening financially is within the regional families but we've started a volunteer fund that's being uh administratively handled through the dallas congregation uh chicago's contributed dallas has contributed we're just saying anybody who would be who's able to contribute some resources to this global effort so if we needed to print something or <laughs> if we needed handouts at a meeting uh, right now, we just have to tap shoulders of people and say, hey, does anybody have any money in their budget? But we, we need a centralized fund. So in some ways, we're creating some more centralization to bring efficiency. Uh, now that we have built a certain level of trust, we can do that again. Um, we did begin the discussion on dating outside the ICOC, and there's more to come. Uh, we've got a consensus statement coming out of the delegates meeting on on the <clears throat> the general landing place of our global fellowship on Bible and gender. Um, and that was uh, the elders have a statement that they're they're uh, editing right now that will be kind of the consensus statement of our fellowship. And we know there's lots of ways to view Bible and gender and in a practical way in the local ministry. 
but we felt like we needed something that just says this is generally where the ICOC lands. Exactly. Uh, right. Yeah. Makes sense. So that was that was decided. Um, yeah, and I think a real commitment to planting churches and getting our churches healthy and growing again. Right. That we're all like deciding, let's embrace that vision. Um, what's interesting is we we hired Kidogo to put together a church count up to 1,000 and a, church, a country count down to zero. And I don't know if this is uh, out of line. <laughs> I don't know how people will hear this, but some of the reports I get back is people don't really care about those number thresholds. Um, people don't seem to really, uh, that's, we've lost the inspiration of the, of the number. And I think that's actually a good thing. Like people are like, why a thousand? Why, why are we, why are we shooting for a thousand? Why don't we just plant what we can and, and praise God for that versus this. Some people love the threshold number that the emotional, let's get right. to a thousand. Sure. But the feedback I'm getting from younger people is, yeah, we don't really care about that number. We just want God's kingdom to keep growing and advancing. And we want the mission to go well and needs to be met. So that's an interesting so we're, we're trying things and then we're getting feedback and we're adjusting, you know? Yeah. Okay. So let me just ask you more questions about that. Cause I mean, I love that goal. I love the, the 2000 plan, you know, getting a church <laughs> yeah. in every country by the year 2000 with a city of at least a hundred that I thrive on that. I mean, just, I think it did so much good. I mean, yeah. just, just yeah. to get the kingdom energized, focused and to channel all of our talents, no matter where we were, toward one purpose, which I think is absolutely the right way to go. So it, it excites me to hear you talk about that. When you think about getting to a million disciples, I, I mean, I love our, our family of churches. We're 100,000, but we are just like an inch deep and a mile wide. I mean, we're spread all over the kingdom with only yes. 100,000 people. I go, we got to get a lot more people into the kingdom of God. Got any ideas? I mean, how can we get there? Like, like you, just off the top of your head, I know you didn't prepare for this, but I, I, something I pray about every day, how can we get to a million by 2050? That's my personal goal. I'm not, it's not a posted <laughs> anywhere, but I'm like, if, when I'm 85, I want to see the kingdom at a million. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, we, I, I mean, do you have a thought? Do you want to? No, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I think, I, again, I think our fellowship is so special. And, and I think we have needed to kind of get, I don't know. I take warnings from like the, the tower of Babel. I'm so grateful that we didn't build a tower. I think we flirted with building towers mm. over, over the decades, you know, versus being scattered. But when you say we're an inch deep and a mile wide, I think that's the result of a people willing to be scattered mm -hmm. and a pioneering generation that were willing to make the sacrifices to, to spread us out. So we've got the right kind of, we got the structure, if you will. And I don't mean to speak in secular language too much because God has done all of this. Right. It's like the persecution with Stephen, those disciples in Jerusalem scattered everywhere. And then Paul's missionary journeys were just going to where they landed and building churches. So, right, right. so I think we've got the right structure in place. If we can trust each other and not get sidelined by building our own tower on this issue or that issue, and we can kind of walk out of a global conference with a, with a sense of we've got something to build on if we can just lift God above the issues and, 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 and believe that God will use us and put something out there. I think we can get to a million members. And I think there are people right now. I mean, how many people in the world right now are crying out, God, where are you? So it's many. a billion. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, absolutely. 
And, and if, if we can reinvigorate this sense of mission and purpose and God's desire to save all people, um, you know, you're sitting in that summit realizing, man, if just this family member were here, they would be moved by this. You yes, know what I mean? Definitely. Um, definitely. Okay. So I, I feel very hopeful because I think we've got in place the foundational workings. We've got to keep building that trust, keep cooperating. We need each other right. more than ever. So I hear I hear this word coming up several times, trust. We've got to maintain trust and basically lay the organizational infrastructure that's based on relationships and trusting relationships. Yeah. You feel like that's the key to getting to a million. I, I think it is because then I think people walk in amongst us and they, they see a peculiar air, peculiarity. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Right. Uh, right. That's a tongue twister. They'll see the uniqueness of our fellowship. That just happened this past Sunday. A man walked in for the first time, 50 year old guy. And he's like, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're so familiar with it and we know our nuances right. that I think sometimes we get bogged down in our problems. Right. And, 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 and we focus there instead of rising above and letting God just, this is going to be a God thing despite our problems. But okay. I, I think in, I think we need a lot of inspiration right now, Rob. I right. think we spent a lot of t- the last couple of years focusing on, all, on challenges, um, focusing on problems, but I think we need, inspiration. We need to inspire each other. So challenges, problems, what, on the flip side, what concerns you the most going forward? Where, where do you feel like, you know, the, the dangers are, where, where are the rocks that we could wreck this ship on? What, what do you see is what we need to avoid? Yeah. Each and I were thinking about this. Um, I don't know that this is the one thing, but one thing that came to my mind was, that we don't kind of what, when we each was talking about the basics of wrestling, like you never let go of a good stance. Mm-hmm. You never let go of the proper, you know, um, you know, just the, 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 the takedown, like there's mm-hmm. just certain things you have to continue to do. And I, and I, I thought the one thing, if we, if we, if we continue to do what we, what we know is right and good, you know, staying in the word, letting God's word guide us, being people of prayer, uh, being people led by the spirit. When we planted the church in Columbus, Ohio, miracles happened that were just amazing. Uh, people that became Christians that were just had, we had, you just saw the hand of God at work. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't, we didn't, uh, we just had to continue sharing our faith, you know, confessing our sin, just, you know, what concerns me is if we start saying no, but then there's something more, uh, not needing those things any longer. Right. Uh, let's go with the culture. The culture mm-hmm. seems to want to go in this direction. Right. So let's go ahead and adapt to that and become relevant based on the culture versus allowing God's word to be our foundation. And then of course, be, be relevant, do whatever we need to do to reach those that need to be reached and keep those saved that are saved. But not at the expense of letting go of the basics. Right. So that's something that kind of, you know, made me think that could be a concern if we, if we decide there's another way, mm-hmm. God's got another way. He just doesn't, sh- you know, some, you know, whenever there's this novel concept, something new's out there we haven't found yet, it starts to concern me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a bunch of thoughts on this, Rob, and I, I know 
I don't want to wear out the audience today Maybe <laughs> for around around two, which I think it could be a great opportunity to express more of the work of the catalyst team. But, you know, I, <clears throat> a couple things, I do think the relevance thing that Marcy's talking about, I think an oversimplification of what it would take to evangelize the world is, is a little bit of a danger. Um, what Sean and Lena Wooten are doing right now in Moldova with the Revive EE, Revive Eastern Europe team, you know, they're having huge success. And um, Sean gave a presentation uh, in front of the regional family chairs describing the 25 people who've been baptized, the thousands of meals served to refugees and the things that they're doing to transform the church in uh, Moldova. But um, somebody raised their hand. They're like, why are we talking about all this process and, and decision-making? We should just be doing that. You know, someone, someone, you know, and, and, but Sean is backed by the European Mission Society, which is Atlanta, uh, Boston, Chicago, the Midwest, New England. You know what I mean? It's, he's, he's supported by this amazing uh, network of administrative help and resources. And so he's freed up to go do these things. So we have to see that the work we're doing foundationally to build the trust and to provide the infrastructure is a necessary background thing for the freeing up of missionaries to go do their work without worrying about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, right. funding or, or a visa or whatever. So, right. so that's, that's one thing. But I also think that I do look at the Tower of Babel as a, as a warning for us. Um, you know, when, when God makes the visionary statement, to go fill the earth in Genesis 128, then uh, the flood happens in Noah. And what's the first thing God says when the flood, you know, resides or kind of pulls back and there they're standing. He says, now go fill the earth. Right. Two chapters later, we're in, in the tower of Babel and they don't want to be scattered. They want to build a tower. They want to use their technology, you know, bricks made with mortar, <laughs> you know, uh, they said to themselves, um, not to God. They're not, you know what I mean? They're not inquiring. And, and so they wanted to build something that was more of a measurable thing to, to their, to right. their work. They wanted right. the work to be reflected in something they could measure and see mm. and touch and point at. And then of course you get the promise to Abram one chapter later. Um, I just, I think there's a warning in there for us. We've got to be willing to be scattered. We've got to talk to God about it. We've got to not want to plant our own flag or make our name known, but let God's name be known. I don't know. It's it's a much longer conversation. Right. right. No, it's 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 fascinating, and I, you know, I'm glad you're thinking about it because I certainly pray about this and think about it because I, I just I want there to come a day when, you know, I ask somebody, hey, do you know this this brother over in this church? And they go, nope, don't know who that is, or you know, it, right now there's about like two degrees of separation in our family of churches. It doesn't take much to go, do you know this person? Oh yeah, I know that person. And I, I want it to be like, I don't know those, those people at all. So anyway, yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about a couple things that, that, first of all, when you're at the center of this, you're on this catalyst team, you're hearing all the negative stuff that's coming in. It's, it's literally funneling straight up to the top every problem, every challenge, every divisive issue, every fight among church leaders or, you know, argument or contention or whatever, you know, as part of an organization, how in the world do you keep your idealism and not get cynical? 
I mean, what I sense from you and really stands out is you've been able to nurture and maintain your idealism for the kingdom of God, which unfortunately, I've, you know, I know a lot of people my age in their 50s and have become really jaded uh, very cynical yeah. and they, they lose their faith. They, they just, or, or they're still there, but the, the passion's not there. How do you guys keep it going when you're literally swimming in a river of, of trouble? <laughs> these are such deep questions. And I mean, I, yeah, I get excited to talk about this. Yeah. Um, I, I was ahead. thinking one of the things that one of the things AT has said in our lives is, a fear experienced is no longer, how does it, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm I'm (laughs) misrepresenting. A fear realized is a fear relieved. A fear realized is a fear relieved. Yeah. And the concept, you know, the thing that you're afraid of, the thing that you, oh no, this is going to happen. When it happens, you're like, oh, oh, I got through that. Okay. (laughs) I guess it wasn't so bad, you know? Um, And we've had a lot of those fears realized in our life, you know, AT being diagnosed with cancer at 35, uh, me dealing with debilitating migraines, um, which praise God, he's healing me in many ways. Um, and you know, our son, uh, a year and a half ago being shot by a stray bullet in the city of Chicago, uh, surviving it, praise God, he's doing great. Um, our daughter going through her own uh, spiritual journey and just these are amazing children. You know, you just love your children so much. And yet, you know, just being with, you know, your own family as they go through difficult times can be a lot. So when you have a perspective that just says, what really matters, you know, what really matters now, I feel like what matters is, wow, what a privilege that we get to walk alongside people going through things and help point them to God. So my perspective is a gratitude. Like when my son, when I realized he was alive and that now I get to help be in his recovery, that just changed my whole perspective, even about ministry. Like what a, what a blessing to be in basically a recovery ministry with the people that we get a touch around the world, you know, or within our neighborhoods or whatever. It's not about, Oh, this is a problem. Don't get me wrong. We've had those (laughs) moments where we're like, Oh, geez, this again. (laughs) Uh, Or I thought we were going in this direction. Okay. I guess we got to go in this, you know, um, this is worse than we thought, you know, but, but to really see, wow, God's giving us tools, the ability to, be with somebody in a difficult time and, and be with one another, even in difficult ministry times. So it keeps us from being like, can you believe it right. <laughs> to, wow. Okay. How, how can, what's God going to do here? Mm, yeah. Anytime you have a, a mess is just an opportunity for God to do something great. Mm. It is Rob. We, we sincerely believe that. I mean, I think when Marcy said what really matters it doesn't mean that I minimize when, when, when a church is struggling or a complaint comes to the catalyst team, there are times where I'm like, you know, I'm kind of notorious for like, what, you know, like what is going on here? Um, But I think ultimately we take the challenges we've been through in life and we've seen God work so powerfully through those things that we know he'll work that same way through other things. If, if we just give God the opportunity, we've got to sit, 
in not in a rigid place, not in a negative place, but we've got to reassure the hope that the hope that we have in accordance with that measure of faith. And I so so when your kids go through things or your son is shot, you know, when I hear about a ministry challenge, I'm like, compared to that moment, God's this is this is this is fine. We'll get right. through this. Right. And we live with that optimism. I'm kind of people kind of make fun of Marcy and I like, you know, you guys are just naively optimistic. That's not how we feel. We're groundedly <laughs> optimistic. Right. right. Um, I think the statement that that keeps getting refined in our life is Jesus is Lord, period, not Jesus is Lord if right. or and right. or so that. Mm. Um, and that statement has been refined in us down to the, the core essence of who we are. Um, yeah. But I, I yeah. Do, again, I'm not minimizing the problems that come our way when it comes to ministry. They're significant. They need to be addressed. But I'm always like, but together and with God, we will find a way through this. Oh, I just, I love your attitude. I just love it. It's it's very inspiring and very encouraging. I, I got to ask one more question. I, you know, I'm, I'm friends with Joel Pede and Joel Nagel. They're from the Midwest. And yeah. um Great, great guys. And, and they, they share a little bit about you and how they hold you in high esteem. One of the things that they share about is you're getting involved in different situations, trying to mediate challenges between church leaders and stuff like that. And I just was so impressed hearing secondhand at your, your kind of uh, cool, cool demeanor in tackling tricky situations when, you know, we're people, whether, whether it's church or not, we're going to get offended. We're going to have arguments or... Yeah. or conflict between other people, whether it's church ministers or whatever, how do you, I'm, this is kind of a personal question because I just really can't stand conflict. I mean, it's just, it's something I really have to like buckle down and, you know, grip my teeth. What, what helps you in getting into a situation that's tricky, high emotion situation, lack of trust to get in there and mediate it or, or confront it? You have a thought on that? No, go Oh, um, yeah, I think, um, Marcy and I are, we're big time processors together. We, we talk very thoroughly every day about the things that we're processing. And I think that there's a certain therapeutic, uh, nature to that. And so we don't, we're not ambivalent and we don't just stuff it deep down. We literally go out and pray and talk very openly about what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And we process. We're we're very. We've got a lot of people around us that help us also process. So we we go into every situation, I think, spiritually prepared and fortified to to uh, address those things. We don't go in blind. We don't go in um, not prayerful. Um, I also think we've been molded by certain concepts. There's a book called Failure of Nerve. Um, you know, the concept of self differentiation as a leader. Uh, anytime there's a conflict, that conflict is is being uh, fortified by anxiety. And so, you know, the idea of this book, Failure of Nerve, is that you need a leader to come in, a non-anxious presence to come in and, and diffuse the anxiety of the situation and become solution-oriented in a faithful way. And so I look at Jesus writing in the sand in John 8 with the adulterous woman. I look at Jesus going out and getting his time with God. I'm like, he's constantly diffusing anxiety. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. He, John 5, 17, my father is always at his work and I too am working. So I walk into every situation being guided by the principle that 
God is working here. And when I see God work, I get involved in that work myself. So I'm looking for the ways that God is working, you know, walking mm-hmm. into a situation. Wow. I don't know. That sparks a thought. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me too, I mean, I do not like conflict either. I mean, you know, I remember <laughs> years ago, just, you know, I'd be up all night, like, oh, I said that to that person. Right. And now they mad at me. Right. And, oh, exactly. Now, like, exactly. You know, I just, it would riddle me, you know, with anxiety or just, um, but you know, like AT said, I think the more you realize I'm not the center of this issue, like mm-hmm. God use me, you know, right. let, allow he is at work. He's gone before us and I get to be a conduit for which I can help hopefully bring peace. Yeah. You know? That's awesome. I think with that though, we have to be willing to say the hard things, you know, but not because I feel hard, you know, this hard, you know, the, the strong point of view but because it truly is from God and I will honor him with right. what I say right. and what I don't say. And I think if God puts things on our hearts to say, there's a right way to say it. That's something I've learned from AT, you know, he's, he's got his undergrad in rhetorical studies and his master's in communication. So, Oh, okay. There we go. That, I, that helps. I, I've got, I've got to learn like, okay, there's a better timing of how I could have said that. Okay. <laughs> say that in a different way, you know? Uh, and um, you know, those, that all matters. Because yeah. we're humans and we, yeah. we are affected by how we speak and what we say and when we say things. Right. And so I think, you know, Jesus saying, you know, I will say what my father said, wants me to say and how my father wants me to say it. You know, awesome. you know, those are good. Those are good ways to think about. Let me when I'm going to whatever I'm going to do, let me do it. Not only what he wants me to do, but how yeah. he wants me to do it. Right. And that takes experience. It takes doing it wrong and then apologizing. And <laughs> and it takes just being open. And I always, I'm always amazed too. At, there are times where AT will just say things out loud in a group. And I'm like, you just said that out loud. Mm. Well, I'm glad you did say that out loud, but <laughs> right. I don't think I could have the courage to say that out loud. Yeah. And I think being willing to have the courage to say things that we need to say right? Um, wow. to honor God. Okay. There's so many more things I'd love to ask. And I'm, I'm hoping that we can talk again in the future. I hope this is not the last time yeah. we talk, but let me we'll just, to. just to, for the sake yeah. of timely, let me ask you this final question. What advice would you give to a person who wants to make this life count? They, they want to live a no regrets life. They really want to serve God in a powerful way during the time that God's given them. Mm. Well, in, in a brief sentence, I would, or whatever, I would just say, you do no one any good not being faithful yourself. Mm. So for me, I do no one any good not taking care of myself with God first. And I think God has done so much to help each one of us be faithful. Let's not lose sight of that. Let's continue to be the best we each can be. And then that God will, he'll shine. Yeah. What I would say, Rob is, and this is a great question. I think what I say to young people is we have a certain capacity within us to function in life. And I think, call it an emotional capacity uh, to handle certain aspects of our journey in life. God wants to expand that. And with God, there really is the sky's the limit. And so Mm -hmm. I think I'm always telling my kids, it's like, let's find that line where we start to get nervous and are a little bit afraid. And then let's step over it by faith and see what kind of expansion takes place in our life as a result. It's funny. I, when Marshall Mead called me, he called me and, uh, 
And I knew he was calling me to ask me to do something at the World Discipleship Summit. And I was on a prayer walk and I said, God, I'm going to say yes to whatever Marshall wants me to do. (laughs) Just don't let it be the Sunday sermon to close out the conference. (laughs) I said, please, God, because I'm done on Wednesday. I'm planning to go home. I will have been there for a week and a half. And Marshall calls and he's like, hey, the committee voted. We want you to do the Sunday sermon. And I just go. Thank you. It's an honor. To serve. But, but what I what I well, I met my own line of because I, I thought to myself, there's a line of comfortability that I want to stay within. Right. But but I concluded, no, God, you're calling me to step over that line and to serve the kingdom. Mm. And then the result of that is a ton of work, but a ton of spiritual reward that comes from just pouring yourself out in something you never would have chosen to do. Wow. And yeah. And you know, that's why we're on the podcast with you today. Let's let's see what happens. That's right. You know, that's right. Let's get with our brother Rob. And you know, we planted the church in Columbus. Marcy said, do not pick us. It's one of the most treasured <laughs> memories of our lives. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So my advice is step over the line of comfortability. Right. If God conclude that if it's God calling you, then I'm going all in on it and right. see what happens, right. you know? You know, it's so funny you bring that up because I've been thinking a lot about that recently. There are things that that create anxiety or fear in me when I when I think about doing them. And yet, nine times out of ten, those are the very things God's calling me to do that produce yeah. the most good fruit or the most transformation personally or help people the most. And it's just, it's weird how yeah. those very things that we resist in our flesh are exactly the direction God's calling us. So yeah, uh, it's, great. it's really, it's been so inspiring to talk to you both. Thank you for all your work. It's, it's very confidence building to know that a couple like you is helping to facilitate and direct the affairs of the kingdom. I really respect you guys both and we'll be praying for you. And, you know, I don't know how you do it, leading a large church and trying to help out um, the church worldwide, but I'll be praying for you and anything I can do on this, this um, part of the world. Definitely want to help you. So thanks for your time. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Been wonderful. Yeah, really grateful. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.